Alrighty. So uh, welcome as well to those who are watching online. Um, I have the privilege of reading from the Word for us this morning before Aaron comes up to share uh, his reflections and what God's put on his heart for us. So we, if you don't know, are partway through, in fact, more than partway through, over halfway through Mark's Gospel, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And today we're in chapter 10, around the middle of chapter 10. So this is Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45. And the title uh, of this first section, Jesus foretells his death a third time. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. The request of James and John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James, at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even if this, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Aaron, would I pray for you as you uh, begin this morning? Uh, for those who don't know, Aaron is on staff here at the church, uh, facilities manager, but a little bit more than that as well. So uh, thanks, Aaron, for sharing with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word you put on Aaron's heart to share with us as the church community of the Billabong this morning um, and those beyond uh, listening afterwards as well. We ask that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us, that you would make clear for him what it is that he needs to say, that you would give him clarity of mind, of thought, of speech, and that most of all, the Holy Spirit would be the one who ministers to him and to us this morning in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Luke. Blessed morning, everyone. Do you think that Luke did a good job in imitating me? <laughs> or do you prefer him for being who he really is? Yeah? Now, the last time I spoke, um, I mentioned that we're going to take uh, something like three hours. We did it under two hours, and some of you actually felt shortchanged. So I promise I'm going to make up for it today. Okay, and I've come very well prepared with a big water bottle. <laughs> okay, so 
Um, today, we are going, this passage that we're going to be looking at, just a quick run-through, Jesus is now with His disciples on the way up to Jerusalem. They are going to be passing through Jericho. They are nearing Jericho right now. Okay, and this is the time. Oh yeah, uh, that's the parallel passages. Just take note in Matthew and in Luke. Now, this is the time when Jesus was walking up with His disciples. It would be His third time that He's foretelling His passion, His death and resurrection. Third time. It would also be the second time where Jesus will address this issue of greatness. What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? With his disciples, this would have been his second time. Now, let's look at this particular passage in two segments. I'd like to focus on the passion, the foretelling, Jesus' foretelling of his passion, the death and resurrection, and we will also look at Jesus' response to his disciples. Now, let's look at this. Um, can, before we go into that, can you recall what's the Billabong's mission? Can someone? What's oh, up? Uh, it is to live and love like who? To live and love like Jesus. Right? So we're going to ask ourselves, what did Jesus do? How did He do it? And why was He able to do it? Okay, that's our focus for today. Now, what did He do? Let's take a closer look at Mark 10, 32-34. Right? Mark 10, 32-34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. Those who followed Him were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Now, this is where we pay attention, right? He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that is Jesus, will be delivered over to the spiritual leaders of the Jews, the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, if Jesus is foretelling this of what's going to happen to him in such detail, in such a detailed fashion, and in the, at the beginning of this passage, we see that he is walking up to Jerusalem and he's ahead of the disciples. He's walking ahead of them. What does this show? What does this show about Jesus? We can see that Jesus here is voluntarily and willingly humbling himself. And he's about to do that. So the key note is, Jesus is voluntarily and willingly humbling himself. Now, his death on the cross was not circumstantial, nor was Jesus a victim of circumstances, nor his resurrection was an afterthought. But the death and resurrection of Jesus was fully intentional and purposed by God. Okay, so that's what we want to take note of. The next thing, let's look at Jesus' disciples. So the disciple says, okay, we get it. 
Jesus is going to die, He's going to rise again, He's going to be risen in glory. Let's take the opportunity and let's ask Him, Lord, can I sit on your left and on your right? Let me have the most preeminent position and rank in your kingdom, next to the left and the right side of Jesus. And this is what Jesus replied them in Mark 10, 42 to 45. Jesus called them to Him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of Gentiles, rulers of Gentiles today, in our context, would be the people, the rulers and the leaders of the world, so-called the world system. All right? They lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. They wield power, they exert authority. They lord it over their subjects. All right? But Jesus said this, but it shall not be so among you. Who is the you that he's talking about? Those who are following Jesus, those who belong to the kingdom of God. So, what is the standard of greatness in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God? In the kingdom of God, the standard of greatness is, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a servant or a slave of all. And in verse 45, it says, For even, just as, the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. And how is He going to be serving? To give His life as a ransom for many. Now, that's the mark of servanthood. And this essentially in the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, we can see is the main theme that, Mark's, that Mark wants to bring across. Jesus, Messiah, the suffering servant of God. All right? Now, I'm not sure if any of you have um, heard of this song in Sunday school. I know that uh, Luke is going to have some comments on this. Uh, every time I play worship songs in the, in the office, he says, Ah, Aaron, you know, you are showing your age. Oh, I'd just like him to know, first 10,000 years in heaven, you'll be learning all the songs that I learned before. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to play this song. I'm not sure if you... Have you heard this song before? You have not heard this song before? Where were you guys? <laughs> Salty and the kids. Salty and the kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Right? Okay, I think it's a great song. Um, we shall sing it in worship next week. <laughs> okay. Now, we have asked the question, we have answered the question, what did Jesus do? Right? How did he do it? Now, the next thing is, how did Jesus serve? Now, let's look at the words of Paul in Philippians, how he echoed the posture of Jesus in this. Philippians 2 six to eight. Now, I must apologize first at this point. Um, the slides are 
going to be, might be a little bit uh, off alignment to what I'm saying. That's because it's no fault of uh, John. Because this morning I woke up and I was like, oh, I need to reframe this whole uh, entire thing. And then just now I was trying to rearrange the slides. Uh, but no, it just didn't work. So Philippians 2, 6 to 8, what did Paul say? Who, that is Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And in verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, three points here about how Jesus served. Voluntarily, with love, in humility. Right? Jesus did not serve from a point of insufficiency or inadequacy. Rather, he served from a position of all sufficiency and with complete authority. He was the Son of God. Now, humility is a big word for us. Humility is not a show of weakness. Rather, it takes character to be able to live humbly and to live in humility. It is not a show of weakness, as we see in Jesus' case. Now, how does that look like for me then? Let's look again at Paul, Paul's passage that we covered earlier on, but in a expanded with verse 3, starting from verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning to say, put on the mind of Christ, ourselves. And then we have read that, though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, became a servant, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death on a cross. So how does that look like for me then? At home, at work, in school, in the church? Just to give us a little bit of a few examples how it looks like, just to get us start, to start thinking. At home, between husbands and wives. Now, I was deliberating this morning if I should sh share this, is, which is a little bit of a personal kind of a testimony, make myself a little bit vulnerable. But between husbands and wives, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as how Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He laid down His life for the church. So think about that. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Who is at the centre of this equation? 
between the husbands and the wives? Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there, as husbands and wives, we will find that there are tensions and there will be conflicts. And, some, and, and I'm of no exception as well. And there were times that probably we felt that, you know what, it might not work. And when I come to God and I say, Lord, you know what, I'm really not sure how to work this out. I'm not sure how I'm going to work this. Maybe we should just give it up. But thank God, He spoke to me and said, Aaron, why don't you check Ephesians chapter 5 again? So I read Ephesians chapter 5. It started out with, wives submit your husbands as unto the Lord. I said, that's it. That's the precondition, Lord. And God says, no, read on. And finally, I came to the point where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the question to me was, how did Christ love the church? Now, it took me, with all of my man ego, my man pride, to lay it down and to say, would I be willing, as Jesus did, to allow himself to be mocked? Not that my wife mocked me, no. But you get the point, in humility. To allow myself to, to, to be wronged in that sense. To be able to hold that back and to be able to say, Lord, I give it over to you. And I must tell you that God's word is true. When God said this, husbands love your wives as how, as how Christ loved the church, that worked out for my marriage. And thank God today, this year, we would be celebrating 14 years. 14 years of marriage now with two daughters. It was a journey for me. How does it look like at work or in school? When we go to work, who are the unlikely people that we want to reach out to? Yes, definitely we would like to reach out to our boss. We would definitely like to reach out to our supervisor. Some of us will do a good job in reaching out to those who are below us, our subordinates. But how about the person who comes to the office to do the cleaning for us? And if you're in your office, there's someone who comes to help make the, the, the cups of coffee. How about that person who makes the cups of coffee for us? How about reaching out to them as well and praying for them? When we are working in the office, it is most of the time we will say, you know what, if I'm paid to work eight hours, I'll do my fair share, I'll be very good, I'll work my eight hours. Right? And if I were to do a piece of assignment or if I were to have to take the extra mile, I better make sure I get the recognition for it and a title, a promotion at the end of the year for that. But do we really need that? When Jesus served, when He went the extra mile, when He went to the cross, it was hardly convenient. It was very inconvenient. Right? How does that look like at church? 
When we look at, when we serve in church, yes, we know that we are to serve one another, we are to serve the body of Christ. Do we serve when it's convenient? How about when we serve, are we willing to serve when it is inconvenient, when no one is watching, when probably no one would even notice? I mean, I've not been very long in the billabong, but I have already noticed there are people in our midst who comes in and serve quietly, and they walk out quietly, and it seems as if week after week, miraculously, the place just looks good. And it's not because the facilities manager have been praying and asking for angels to come by to look after the place, but there are angels and members in our midst who actually does that. Serving without recognition, without title. The, thing, the next thing that we would like to ask is this, but how, how can I serve with, humi- in love, with love and in humility? How do I do it? I know I should be serving, but how? So the question to ask is, how did Jesus, how was Jesus able to serve with love and in humility? May I propose to you, there are two points. One, Jesus was secured in his identity. He knew who he is, the Son of God, and he is secured in it. And the second thing is, he was assured of his Father's love. No doubt about that. He knew who his heavenly Father is, and he knows what his heavenly Father will do for him. Will His heavenly Father will vindicate him. His heavenly Father will raise him up. So let's bring that back to ourselves. Do we know our identity in Christ? Are we secured in our identity in Christ? Are we assured of the Father's love? You see, we can only give to the extent that we have received. We can only humble ourselves to the extent, to the point where we are secured in our own identity. I cannot love beyond what I have received. But most of us would have had negative experiences with human love because we are all flawed. We, as humans, all of us have got shortcomings. But that is where we are to look unto Jesus, our Lord, to live and love like who? Mother Teresa? Luke? I mean, he's a great guy. To live and love like Jesus. So when I read Scripture, I want to know, How did Jesus do it and why was He able to do it? So this question that I like to ask ourselves right now, again, do we know our identity in Christ? Who has God called us to be? In John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive Him, Jesus Christ, who believed in His name, the name of Jesus, He gave the right to become 
children, sons and daughters of God. The thing is this, we know this, we read this, are we secured in it? If we look at our lives today, the way we live our lives, that is usually a telling piece of evidence, a reflection of what we believe. Let me say that again. The way we live our lives today is usually a reflection of our beliefs. Okay? So, bringing down to how do we respond now? As Christians, or for those of us who are followers of Jesus, do we desire to know our identity? You see, I will only know my identity and become very secure in it when I have an encounter. An encounter with whom? With Jesus. If you look at the lives of the disciples, if you read the book of Acts, which I've just, I mean, just did some reading on the books of Acts, you would see that the disciples, there was a remarkable, dramatic transformation that happened in their lives. From a place of like, huh? What are you saying, Jesus? I know, I get it, you're going to die, you're going to be risen. Can you give me the best place there, up there in heaven? to the point where if you read the book of Acts, you will see that how the disciples laid their lives down for Christ. Why? What happened? Where was the pivotal point that happened? Some would say, or perhaps many would say, it was at that point when they encountered God at Pentecost, when they had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit then. So we are talking about not knowledge, not only knowledge, but an encounter. How do we encounter? We can only encounter when we have a relationship. And may I propose to you, for a relationship to happen, it is not enough just to read the Bible. Read, just reading the Bible would mean that I read a my wife takes a book of Aaron, on, on Aaron, reads about all about Aaron, reads other books that talks about Aaron and says that, you know what? I think I know Aaron and I'm willing to lay my life down for Aaron. But do we as Christians do that? Do we as Christians also just read the Bible? Oh, I know about God. I read supplementary books and, oh yeah, I know what they say about God and I'm willing to lay my life down and to serve as Jesus did? Or are we willing to go one step further to say, Lord, I want to have an encounter with you. How does that look like? Just as I have an encounter with my parents, with my siblings, with a human relationship, I want to have that encounter with you. How does that look like? Are we spending time talking to Him? Are we spending time talking to Him about what we are reading from, about Him in the Bible? Are we partnering and walking with God to do 
what He has called us to do. Because usually, if we obey the Word of God and we start to be His hands, His feet, His lips, as we do it, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ works through us. And as the Spirit of Christ works through us, we encounter Him here. It's something that no one can ever explain how would that feel like until you have it. Prayer. Are we spending time with Him in prayer? Are we interacting with Him through His Word? And are we walking with Him and partnering Him? So i just like us at this point, could you in your own heart just say, respond to the Lord in this. Lord, if you desire to encounter Him, Lord, I desire to encounter you. I don't know how that's that going to look like, but I'm going to start by having what I would invest in a human relationship, I would invest in you. Time. Communication. Partnership. Would you just take a time right now, and if you feel that this is what you want to do, to just tell the Lord, this is what you want to do. Now, next, I will ask this question. Have you received the gift that Jesus has offered, that He has paid with His own life? This gift is the gift of salvation. Do we, have we received it? Now, if we look at it, the Bible says this, you know, there is no one who is righteous. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the standards of the glory of God. All of us. No one's exempted. We would have fallen into sin either through our thoughts, our words, our actions, the inner motivations and desires of our hearts. And the Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Not only, not only um, a physical death, but spiritual death. And sin is what separates us from God, our Creator. When God created man, He created man to have a fellowship with Him to live with dominion over the earth. But sin was what came in 
and separate that and broke that up. And so Jesus came, Jesus, Son of God, came in the likeness, in the form of flesh, became flesh, and He went to the cross to atone for our sins. Because you see, no one can pay a debt for us if that person owes a debt. But Jesus, who is sinless, who owes no debt of sin, He laid down His life in exchange for ours. So that through Jesus, we can have restoration, redemption, and life eternal with God. Again, as how God has originally intended. You see, somebody can come up to us and offer us a gift. He says, I've already paid for this in full. It is yours. You can have it. But if I look at that, it is up to me to decide whether I want to receive the gift or not. I can choose to receive it and say thank you, or I can say, you know what? No thank you. There is a choice in that. Jesus has made available the gift. He says now you, we don't have to live the way we are living. We don't have to live the way uh, that we are living in such a broken state. And He says that through His life right now, through what He has done, He has now made the provision for us. Are we willing to accept what He has done for us? That's probably the most important question that we have to ask ourselves. Ask ourselves. Because the Bible also says this, it is appointed to men once to die and thereafter to judgment. There is no, there is no recourse. The thing is this, this morning I was just sitting, I mean, there's, there's no pressure, I'm just encouraging and really urging because this morning, I, just, I was just talking to Sean and a friend of ours whom we know had just passed away yesterday. Just like that. And I was like, huh? I just heard about that guy going through and having a form of, of illness. And just yesterday afternoon, he just passed away. He's just gone. Recently, I've been hearing quite a few of which one of my own friends also just, I just read his blog on a Friday night on a Saturday evening, he passed on. And he crossed from life here into the next point, into eternity. So I feel myself, I know I've, I've gone past my 30 minutes right now, but I really need to urge and ask this question. Because I do not know my time. It's either my time runs out or somebody else's time runs out. I can't say for sure I'm going to live 40 years more of my life. 
I don't know if I'm going to be standing here next week to say, blessed morning, everyone. But I know that while I still have the breath right now, I would need to ask this question. Have you received the gift of life that Jesus has offered and paid with His life? This choice and decision that you make is going to take us from here into eternity where to be where Jesus wants us to be. Just one more point, just for you to consider. The fact that we are sitting here today, the fact that we still have breath in our nose today, that, my friend, is a testimony of the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Because God does not desire for anyone to perish, but He desires for all to come to repentance and have life everlasting through Christ Jesus. Now, if you would like to receive this gift of salvation, can I just ask for everyone just to close your eyes and bow your heads? If you would like to receive this gift of salvation, this gift of life that Jesus has offered and paid, can I just ask for you to just give me an indication? Just give me some form of indication so I know who, who is responding, who I'm praying for. If you want to say, yes, Lord, I, I just want to know, what, what is it, what does it, is, is it really like to live the life that you have intended for me? Just give me an indication so that I would know who you are and I can pray for you. Anyone? Now, it's not important for me to know for statistical reasons, I must tell you that. No. What's important is for you to respond if today you feel a tugging in your heart. My friend, that tugging in your heart is God prompting you. He says, would you respond? If you'd like to respond, would you please repeat this prayer after me quietly? From your heart, you can repeat it under your breath. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God and the only way to God. That you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. I thank you for what you did for me. And by faith, I receive it now. 
I receive you, Jesus, as my Saviour, and I confess you as my Lord. Accept me now and make me a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.